It was one of those old houses you see from time to time, standing off the road, across the field, out toward the country, the roof mostly gone, windows sagging and empty, peering at you over a half-rotted porch as you drive by. It's hard to believe that anyone had ever lived there, but according to my great-grandfather, it was the house he was born in. His excitement grew as we pulled onto the bare dirt track that led to the house. The car was still rolling when out he popped and was moving as fast as his cane would let him up the stairs and through the black hole that served as a door. Following as fast as we could, we too crossed the threshold and came to a sudden and abrupt halt, like hitting an unseen wall. In the gray light filtering through the dust, we could see the back of an old wingback chair, grimy and tattered, facing toward the fireplace on the far wall of the room. There was no sign of great-granddad. Try as we might, we could not move forward. A voice seemed to come from the depths of the wingback chair. Don't worry, you'll have him back safe and sound. But first, you must listen to my weird wonder stories from a time long ago. When I'm done, just step back and leave. Great-grandfather will be found sleeping in the car. And we did. Here is a story about striving, suffering, and revenge. The Devil Plant by Lyle Wilson Holden It was the last straw. Injury upon injury I had borne without a murmur, but now I determined to revenge myself upon Savella Castellar. Let the cost be what it would. His malevolent influence had pursued me since early boyhood, and it was he who caused every fond hope of my life to turn to ashes before its realization. Long ago, when we were boys in school together, his evil work began. We were both of Spanish blood, and both, having lost our parents in childhood, were being educated by our respective guardians at one of the famous boys' schools of England. Nothing was more natural in the circumstances than that we should become chums and roommates. However, it was not long before I began to be sorry that I had entered into such close relationship with him. He was absolutely unscrupulous, and soon his escapades won him an unenviable reputation among the other students. Although he always managed, by skillfully covering his trail, to stand well with the authorities of the school. Before many weeks had passed, a particularly heinous outrage which he had committed, set the whole school in an uproar. It could not be overlooked, and a strict investigation was started. What was my horror to discover that his devilish ingenuity had woven a web of evidence which thoroughly enmeshed me within its coils. There was no escape. I was dismissed in disgrace from the school, and in disgrace I left England. The notoriety I received in many of the leading papers of the kingdom made it impossible for me to enter another school or to obtain any honest employment. I came to America, working my passage over upon a cattle ship. The years that followed were hard ones, 
but by sober industry I forged ahead slowly until at last I had bright prospects of becoming the junior partner in a large business house in Baltimore. <laughs> then my evil genius appeared. Savella obtained employment in our company, and by his devilish cunning soon made himself well-liked and trusted. Then one morning, a few months after he came, it was reported that a large amount of money had been stolen from the firm. Again, a network of circumstantial evidence pointed indisputably in my direction. I was arrested and brought to trial. The evidence not being entirely conclusive, the jury disagreed and I was set free. But my career in America was forever blasted. As soon as I could close up my affairs, I buried myself in the wilds of Australia, where I began life anew. Fortune was kind to me, and I prospered. Under another name, I became a respected and honored citizen of a thriving new settlement. Then the crowning blessing of all came when I won the love of the beautiful Mercedes, a black-eyed, olive-hued immigrant from my own province of Andalusia. Then indeed I was at the threshold of heaven. But how short was my day of bliss. Four weeks before our wedding day, Savella Castellar suddenly entered our settlement. It is useless to dwell upon that wretched period, sufficient to say that this hell-born fiend again worked his diabolic sorcery, and Mercedes was lost to me forever. The report came to me that Savella, for the first time in his life, loved with a fierce, consuming passion, and that Mercedes would soon be betrothed to him. Then it was that I vowed by all that was holy that Savella Castellar will pay in full his guilty debt, even though, as a result, my soul should sink into Stygian blackness. Why do I write this? because I take a grim pleasure in telling of my revenge, and because I want the world to know that I had just provocation. I am not afraid. Life or death, it means little which is my portion now. When this is read, I shall be far from the haunts of men. Savella Castellar thought I was a fool. It suited my purpose that he should continue to think so. I treated him as a bosom friend, and he, poor idiot, thought I never guessed that he was the instigator of the ruin that drove me from England, wrecked my business in America, and in the end left me desolate, without hope of ever enjoying the blessings of love. So while we smoked, read, or hunted together, I brooded upon my wrongs and racked my brain for some method by which I could accomplish that which was now the soul-absorbing motive of my life. Then chance threw across my path the instrument of my vengeance. One day, while I was wandering, desolate and alone, through a wild and unexplored part of the country, I came upon one of the rarest and at the same time one of the most terrible species of the vegetable kingdom ever discovered. It is known as the octopus plant, called by the natives the devil tree. When I saw it, my heart gave a throb of exultation, for I knew that my search was ended. The means by which I could accomplish my purpose was now at hand. Savella and I had but one passion in common, an intense love for botanical investigation. 
I knew that he would be interested when he heard of my strange discovery, and I believed that his knowledge of the plant was not sufficient to make him cautious. On the evening of the next day but one, as we sat smoking, I broached the subject. Sevilla, in the old days, you used to be considerably wrapped up in the study of plant life. Are you still interested? Somewhat, he replied, and then his eyes narrowed craftily. I exhausted the interesting possibilities of most of the known plants of the world a number of years ago. Lately, I have found the light that lies in the woman's eyes a subject of greater interest. <laughs> I could have strangled him where he sat, but a lifetime of trouble has taught me to conceal my feelings. I betrayed no emotion. I'll venture that there is one plant that you have never studied at first hand. What is that? he asked with mild curiosity. A plant, I continued, found only in the most inaccessible places of the earth. Probably it could be seen only in the wildest parts of Sumatra or Australia, and then scarcely once in a lifetime. He was now thoroughly aroused. What is the family of this wonderful shrub, he asked. I have a dim recollection of having heard of it. Let me see. Isn't it called... The devil tree by the natives, by others the octopus plant, I broke in. But I have heard that the name is somewhat of a misnomer. It is said that it is rather a tree of heaven, for it distills a rare and delicious nectar, which has a wonderful rejuvenating power. At the same time, it intoxicates in a strange and mysterious manner, causing him who drinks to revel in celestial visions of love and radiant beauty. Instead of leaving one depressed, as is the case with alcohol, it is said that the impression lingers, the face grows younger, and he who sips is actually loved by any of the female sex whose eyes look upon him. Indeed, I have heard that if our countryman, Ponce de Leon, had gone to the South Seas instead of to Florida, he would have really discovered the fountain of youth for which he sought. I looked at Savella. His eyes were sparkling and he was breathing quickly. I knew I had found his weak point. His was a dreamy, half-superstitious nature, and my words appealed to him strongly. Ah, he exclaimed, would that I could see this marvelous phenomenon and sip of its celestial juice. It could be done, I replied hesitantly, but it would involve some hardship and considerable danger. Did you see one of these plants? Yes, not two days since. Savella sprang to his feet with a Spanish oath. Dios mio, he cried. Rodriguez, why did you not tell me? When can we start to find it? Softly, I admonished. I told you there was danger. Haven't you heard that this devil's plant has been known to gorge itself upon human flesh? Uh, the wild story of some frightened native, he scoffed. Take me to it, and nothing shall prevent me from testing the fabled powers of its juices. Stop! Did you not drink of this delicious nectar? I shook my head sadly. No, I had no wish to try. Why should I seek to become young in body when my heart is old within? Ah, you are afraid, he sneered. Afraid of the trailing tendrils of this devil plant. Have it that way if you wish, I answered indifferently. However, if in spite of my warning you still persist in wishing to see this strange freak of nature, 
I will do my best to guide you to it, but I repeat, the way is long and difficult, and you had better leave this cursed thing alone. We will start in the morning, he asserted decisively as he arose to leave. I said nothing more, but alone in my room, I laughed like a devil at the success of my rouge. Next morning, the weather was squally and tempestuous, and I was afraid that the fire of Sevilla's enthusiasm would be burning low. But I also knew that my opposition would be fuel to the flame. I fear we will have to postpone our journey, I remarked when he appeared. If Savella had any doubts as to the advisability of our starting out that morning, they vanished at once. Nonsense, he rasped. It is fine weather for our purpose. All right, my friend, I replied. Remember, though, that I advised against going. The consequences be upon my head, he rejoined. Come, let us be on our way. Our path was strewn with difficulties, and we progressed but slowly. At times the wind howled and whistled across the wild spaces with a sound so mournful that it sent a shudder through me. The heavens were murky, and low dark clouds raced across the leaden sky as though fleeing from some scene of horror. Great rocks impeded our progress at every step, and their grotesque forms seemed to leer at us evilly as we passed. At length, Savella paused and mopped his brow. Come, I exclaimed, you are tired and exhausted. The day is declining. Let us go back. Savella hesitated, and there was an instant in which I was afraid he would take me at my word. Then he straightened, and his chin set determinedly. No, we have come far. We will continue to the end. Lead the way. So let it be, I returned grimly. We will continue to the end. I thought a tremor pass over Savella's sturdy form, and that his face paled slightly. But he turned resolutely and followed me as I pushed forward once more. It was late in the afternoon when we approached the end of our journey. The clouds had become less dense, and the sun, hanging low on the horizon, gleamed through with a sullen glare. The whole western sky bore the appearance of hurtled blood. At length I led the way around an immense rock and stopped, and pointed to the north. There, but a short distance ahead, stood the ghastly plant. It was in appearance like a huge pineapple, about ten or twelve feet in height. From the top sprang the broad, dark green leaves, trailing downward to the ground and enclosing the plant in a kind of cage. Within these leaves, at the top of its bulky body, could be seen two round, fleshy plates, one above the other. Dripping constantly from these was a golden, intoxicating nectar the fatal lure that tempts the victim to his faith. Surrounding these plates were long green tendrils, or arms like those upon an octopus. A slight pressure upon one of these discs would cause the serpent-like tendrils to enfold the victim in their deadly embrace, while the sweet fluid rendered the poor wretch oblivious to danger until it was too late. Savella stood for a moment silently, looking at the strange plant at which I pointed. It is an uncanny sight, he muttered, and a shiver ran over his body. 
Uncanny it is indeed, I replied. I, for one, have no desire to make a closer acquaintance. Yeah, you are always ready to show the white feather, he derided scornfully. I did not openly resent this. I could bear insult for a little while longer. Savella, I said, let us leave this dreadful plant alone. I implore you to return with me now. You have seen this horrid thing. Why would you care to test the legendary power of the fluid which it distills? Because I love, he replied in a dreamy voice, and I wish to be loved beyond all men. If it be indeed the fountain of youth, what danger can deter me from sipping its miraculous juice? Then I will say no more. Drink then of the fabled wonders of this tree of destiny, and may all the joy and all the happiness to which your life entitles you come to you as you drink the nectar that drips in golden drops from its heart. Savella darted a quick look at me from his dark eyes, as though half expecting a hidden meaning in my words. Then he stepped quickly toward the ominous plant. Careful, I cautioned. Do not touch the long green tendrils. There is where the danger lies, for they might tear your flesh. Savella stood for an instant close beside the trailing arms, his eyes glowing with a half-insane light. His face was flushed with the passionate fire that surged through his veins. To his susceptible mind, I know that it was the crowning adventure of his life. I could tell that his heart was pounding from the throbbing arteries of his throat. His lips were moving, and I strained my ears to catch the sound. For Mercedes, he murmured, and stepped between the hanging tendrils. Another moment's pause, and he bent down to the fleshy plates in the heart of the plant and drank long and deeply of the golden juice. Dreamily he closed his eyes, and leaning forward I could faintly catch some of the broken accents that came from his lips. Ah, love! My only love, he murmured. See, beloved, the angel faces, celestial voices coming near. Sweet, how sweet, the unearthly light of Elysian fields. Ah, the heavenly perfume, the surging of the internal seal. With arms folded, I stood and waited. Lost to all else save the delights of his entrancing vision, Every faculty, every sense diluted into happy quiescence by the chimerical phantasm. He did not note the tremulous vibrations which ran through the whole mass of the horrible plant. Slowly at first, and then more quickly, the long sinewy pulpi began to rise and twist in what seemed a fearful dance of death. Higher and higher rose the dreadful arms until they hovered over the unconscious form of their victim. Once I pressed a little too closely, and one of the awful twisting tendrils came into contact with my hand. I sprang back and just in time, for so deadly was the grasp of the noxious arms that the skin was stripped from my flesh. Slowly but surely, the octopus-like arms settled around Savella's body. One of them dropped across his cheek. As it touched the bare flesh, a tremor ran through his frame, and he suddenly opened his eyes. It was only a moment until he was fully awake to the horror of his position. 
while he was reveling in dreams of paradise. The grim arms of the death plant had enclosed him in their vice-like clasp. And I knew that no power upon earth could make them relax until they opened to throw forth the dry husk, the dead skin and bones of their prey. Already they had so constricted his chest that he could breathe only in short, panting gasps. His terror-stricken eyes sought my face. My God, Rodriguez, he cried in a terrible voice. The arms gripped him closer. He gasped out a word. Help! Sevilla Castellar, I said with quiet bitterness, you are beyond all human aid. I could not help you if I would. Once within the grasp of those awful arms, I would be as helpless as you. Remember, at every step of this fatal journey I warned you, but at each warning you grew more determined. Three times you have brought ruin upon me. The third time you have left for me nothing in life. But I was resolved that you should not enjoy what I had lost. Savella, tonight the debits and credits of your account with me stand balanced. Across the page of the Book of Life I write the words, Paid in full. He heard me through. Then as he realized that hope was gone, shriek after terrible shriek burst from his frenzied lips. In his terror and despair, he struggled in a madness of desperation, but every movement caused the embrace of the ghastly arms to tighten upon his body. With sick heart, I turned from the awful scene and plunged forward on my homeward path. As I passed around the great rock from where we had first glimpsed the fatal tree, a last heartbreaking wail reached my ears. Mercedes! Mercedes! Like the last cry of a lost soul, hovering above the abyss of Gehenna, it shrilled in vibrating terror through the air, echoing back from the ghoulish rocks, and then died away into the silence of the approaching night. A faintness seized me, and I shivered at the touch of the chilling breeze, which sprang up as the sun sank blood-red below the horizon, and my heart was as cold as my shrinking flesh. Sunshine or shadow, it's the same to me now, but in recompense for my shattered life, I shall carry with me always the vision of Savella's distorted form, withering in close embrace of the devil tree's snaky arms. In my ears there will ever ring the echo of his last despairing cry of, Mercedes! The End and on the way home, we heard great-grandfather mumbling in his sleep. Such marvelous stories, he said. Such marvelous stories. I haven't heard these since I was a child. And he promptly fell back asleep.